just want to say hello, everybody, and this is going to be episode one of the JM Like Take Flight podcast. As we are recording this today, the date is November 28th, 2020, and we figured we'd start off this episode by kind of uh, jumping in right away and trying to get some of this trending and newest uh, video game news out there that's going on in the industry currently. And uh, once again, I'm Jay. I'm Mike J. And this is the Jay and Mike Take Flight Podcast. So I thought we'd kind of like address right off the bat the elephant in the room. And that is the launch of the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. A lot of good. A lot of bad has gone down. There's been scalping issues. There's been issues with the consoles themselves. And just overall chaos. Just even trying to get your info to work on a website to reorder some of these consoles. Now, Mike, I know you kind of have a different perspective as you have not uh, gotten either a Series X or a PS5 yet. And I know you're kind of like a consumer that's kind of playing the waiting game and going to see what's going to happen with these consoles. But I want to know your overall first impressions and thoughts on these consoles of what you've seen so far. Well, first off, I want to say that the, the scalping, it's a little ridiculous. You have one group out here that somehow got its hands on about almost 4,000 units, almost 4,000 PS5s. Obviously, they're jacking those prices up for the resale. And, you know, you have the bots out here on the internet that are taking pretty much every available unit. Everyone's left out in the cold with it. And being, you know, when people, when you have a launch as big as this, you know, a next-gen launch for a new console, you're always going to have people fighting to get a a system and it you know it's it's crazy it is physically crazy and it's it's a little dastardly too it's a little you know uncouth for scalpers out here trying to take advantage uh you know reselling the system at like twice it's you know worth which you know hey if you're gonna sell something at fourteen hundred dollars you're better off just building a pc straight off the bat uh, as far as me liking the systems, uh, from what I've seen, like you said, I don't own uh, either the Series X or the PS5. I'm probably not going to have one for a little while. Uh, but everything about the PS5, which would be my preferred platform right now, everything I see is pretty enjoyable. I like the UI. I think it's slick. I think it's smooth. Uh, although the one thing I am most looking forward to is actually the dual sense controller they put a lot of new technology into that thing and it it just looks so cool the the fact that like you know the vibrations are used uh, are done with uh, haptic feedbacks uh it's no more just you know solitary motors just rotating in the controller so like you know it, uh from what i've read it like it's almost like uh, the technology used to uh how speakers use vibrations to you know get music to you it's pretty much like that but just in like a controller form so the vibrations can be a little bit more precise they're a little bit more uh you know like tactile and uh, from what i've seen it looks pretty awesome i'm not gonna lie yeah i mean i completely agree with you and i mean i'm gonna come at it with a little bit of a different perspective as you know humble brag i'm gonna say that uh i have a PS5 and a Series X and a lot of people have asked me you know do they 
you know, are they somebody that should get the console? Or are they somebody that should wait? Or is there one that's better than the other? And just from the limited time I've had with the console, I will say that the PS5 definitely feels more next-gen. The UI is a big step up. The load times are amazing on the PS5 with the that new SSD that they've been put in there. I've been playing Spider-Man Miles Morales, and I can honestly say it that for that game specifically, and I, I probably feel this is going to be the way for most kind of sandbox-style games, is that you can literally fast travel somewhere in less than 10 seconds, and it makes doing side quests and a lot of the busy work that these games entail a lot easier to deal with. It makes you want to engage in more of that side uh, content because you know you can go somewhere in a split second. And even if you're playing older PS4-centric games, they just load up so quick. I mean, I've been playing Doom Eternal on my PS5, and the amount of time it takes to load has probably been almost cut in half in comparison to the original PS4. Now, the Series X, on the other hand, it does have that quick resume feature. The UI does have its downfalls where it feels like a more quicker, more streamlined version of what the Xbox One's UI was. But I will say that for people that do have a big catalog of either original Xbox games or 360s games that they bought during their 360 era of time of gaming, I would say if you have a big catalog like that and your big thing is you want to be able to play everything that you've ever had that's been Microsoft, then yeah, it's a no-brainer to go for the Series X. I feel like the backwards compatibility trumps all because they really done a big thing with that being, you know, that they had the consumer in mind when it came to backwards compatibility, whereas Sony has Which been Which is dragged... a big thing. Yeah, like, yeah. It's a much bigger thing over Sony, and, like, I know people, people are throwing Sony to the wolves because they didn't add that backwards compatibility, and I see where it's coming from, and God knows I want to play Parasite Eve, man. I, I, I want it to happen. But um, I don't know. Sony just won't do it. And it's not like they can't. They, I mean, they just put out the, the PlayStation Classic, which is using emulator software that they own. So it's not like they, they couldn't put these things into a, you know, a console, a next-gen console themselves. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's just that or if it's a licensing issue where they're going to have to license, license a lot of this stuff back to get it back on their console that's not Sony first-party games, or if it's even a, another issue of just the original source files for a lot of these games to, to be able to run again are just can't be up to snuff for the emulation. I really don't know where the issue falls, but I feel like on the consumer side, the Series X feels like a no-brainer because you know that all your, at least digital games or any old games you do own on disc, nothing's invalidated. You can all play it on the Series X and they look better and they run better than they ever have. But I yeah. will say this. Big selling point. Every uh, That's a feature I feel that, yes, it does matter to a lot of people. But then at the same time, I feel like that's more of a hardcore gamer need that you're going to want to go back and play all these games. Whereas the casual mother and father who's going out to get this, you know, game for their son or daughter, I should say system for their son or daughter, they're not thinking about backwards compatibility. They're wondering what's the next gen, what's the shiniest thing that's going to look nice on my TV when I boot this console up. And for that, that's where the Series X fails. There's no new exclusives. There's not any exclusive that isn't, you know, from last gen. And there's Not really nothing unless you're going to play a cross-platform game like Valhalla or something of that sort. If you want a, something that looks exclusive and is going to really prop your system up, you're looking at the PS5. 
which is like and that's like a super big misstep for microsoft is they have no real exclusives the ps5 you know you've got miles morales demon souls you know that good old astros playroom which you know i don't know if you want to consider a real game or not but um you know people were looking forward or not looking forward to halo infinite i know a lot of people thought that game looks like uh straight trash uh but um that's the only thing microsoft had for it right now you have people playing pretty much gears of war 5 and older xbox one uh x games that you know like <laughs> you have to wonder what they're doing especially when microsoft took all that time to buy up studio after studio after studio and they don't have a single game at launch ready yet no and i mean that's that's kind of been the thing where you know where a lot of people like to make the joke that the xbox is the struggle box because there's been a lot of touting and claiming of different things over the years whether it's been getting you know we're going to gather up game studios we're going to come out with informative you know new trans uh, tra i should say transformative experiences for our player base for things they can get on the xbox that they can't get nowhere else and so far none of that has been fulfilled and i i tell a lot of people this it i liken this kind of situation between sony and xbox to the situation between dc and marvel where dc you know talked a big game but literally didn't have the infrastructure in place to create that cinematic universe that marvel already had in place and while they talk a lot about we're going to do this we're going to connect that we're going to connect this ultimately the finished product is not up to snuff yeah no and don't get me wrong these two consoles are similarly specced and uh but you know the series x does have the edge in terms of power but i don't think we're going to see the real fruit of that until a couple years later once developers start knowing what they're doing with these new consoles you know as usual uh and going back to the whole these consoles are super fast thing i'm i'm excited to see uh the ps5 version of the witcher we we know that there's going to be upgrades for both the Series X and the uh, PS, uh, PS5. Matter of fact, they're playing the uh, Xbox One X version of The Witcher 3 right now, considering that um, the frame rate for the One X version was unlocked. So you, you know, you had a, and I'm not sure if they had a full 60 frame experience going on, but uh, I know for a fact that on the Series X, it's you know you can it's a full 4k 60 experience and the loading times they damn near broke the game trying to get it to load because the game loads so fast all of the assets pretty much just can't catch up with the actual hardware and it's it's hilarious to see Geralt showing up in a place and then the, there's a castle you know in the foreground that catches up to him and it's like oh my god it, it takes less than you know five seconds to to get into the game where in an, in the you know when the Witcher 3 first came out oh my god the load times are horrible you had upwards of a minute maybe a minute and a half of waiting and it's like whew, oh my god i i've actually seen what you're talking about and i've actually seen that developers while it, happy about these uh new speed enhancements are also kind of annoyed because a lot of people know that the long loading screens were an excuse to put tutorials and hints for what you had to do coming up in the loading screens. And now without loading screens, there ain't no time to read hints. And especially with The Witcher, I've seen some of those like speedy fast loading times and the hints will come up and they'll be gone less than a second and a half later because the game loads so quick. Which is funny that you mentioned that because uh, Sucker Punch, they intentionally 
gimp the speed of the loading times in Ghost of Tsushima so you could actually read the hints. And it's like, no, 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 keep it fast. Keep it fast. The hints are great, but you can do that in a sort of codexy tutorial way where it could just be hidden away in the menus. Hey, I need to know how to refresh something on how to do something in the game. Have a tutorial section. Just, you know, drop down menus. It's not hard. Don't put it on the loading screens or, you know, have it on the loading screens, but don't let that be a reliable method of having your information be accessible. I agree. I mean, I'm the person that while I'm sitting there through a long loading screen, I'll kind of ignore the hints. Even if it's something that's, you know, entirely, you know, something about what I'm going to do coming up in the next chapter or the next mission or whatever, even if it's a hint uh, pertaining to that, I'm just, I probably will ignore it because it's on the loading screen or look down on my phone or do something else. I'm more the person that like, I like the tutorials early on in the game when I actually see them on screen on the HUD and I can put them into practice immediately because then, because of muscle memory, I'm more likely to remember them than just by reading them. Yeah, the game naturally teaches you its mechanics. It's, you know, the things you need to know, you know, and you have to be attentive when it comes to that sort of stuff because I know a lot of people that just play the game and don't look at anywhere else on their screen but the main character and there's like vital information that they're missing and it's like, how do I do this? And it's like the game told you like half an hour ago. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why also like I know, you know, on a separate tangent and we're getting into a whole different tangent here, but that's why I laugh kind of when a lot of people were complaining about Sekiro being too hard and, and, and even uh, to a, a higher yeah. degree, Star Wars Fallen Order being too hard. And I'm like, it's a lot of people are not used to not having their hand held. And when they don't have that accessible to them, they're like, oh my God, this game is too hard. It's like, no, no, no. When we played games back in the day in Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, there were no tutorials. You had a, they threw you in the deep end and you learned by trial or fire. And I feel like, that's a thing we have to get back to that people have to find a way to play these games and don't get me wrong i'm not saying you got to go in blind for everything but i feel like the fun of a game is going in there and trial by fire and learning what to do and what not to do because it makes you better just giving me you know everything immediately and not letting me you know learn things by trial by fire i feel like is a big misstep on a lot of companies i absolutely agree and it, that that was kind of a symptom with uh, the past, like, I would say 10 years in gaming, especially in games like Call of Duty, where, you, I mean, Modern Warfare 2, Ramirez, do this, Ramirez, go there, Ramirez, and, and you would just hear Ramirez constantly, and you get a little, you know, shell-shocked about it, but, uh, yeah, back in the 90s, think about it, you know, the original Resident Evil games, you had no idea what you were doing, they put you into that game, and they're like, go on, go explore, go see stuff. And when you're a kid in the 90s and you play the original Resident Evil, you kind of don't know what you're doing and you get into trouble. You know, you don't understand the save system. Uh, if you're me and you're playing the original, you know, uh, Resident Evil back in 96 and you're like, I don't even what I can't like this game's not all about action. And, you know, that's where you learn. You learn to temper your expectations. And it's like, oh, this is a different kind of game. Because when I originally saw Resident Evil, like I saw its cover, you look on the back of the CD case and like you're seeing people brandishing weapons and, you know, there's like zombies and stuff. You kind of think it's a fast paced action game. But, oh, man, were we uh, I was I was wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> and I found that out when I was a kid. Like, uh, but, uh, yeah, go ahead. Like, you know, you, you learn and then you get loves 
and then you learn to love the survival uh, survival horror genre and you know here i am now uh with the deep appreciation for everything resident evil's taught me you know there have been missteps in the franchise <laughs> you know we can talk about that that's a whole other episode <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a whole other episode but oh man yeah to reel it back in a little bit and go back to the whole sony versus xbox thing there was a actually an interesting story i read this week because going back to the xbox you know and microsoft as a whole being the more consumer friendly platform we all know that uh i think it's an amazing deal and i'm currently subscribed that xbox has the game pass ultimate you're getting you're getting old xbox games you're getting current first party xbox games whenever they do arrive uploaded day one to the console and you're getting all this included with your uh xbox live subscription which i think is amazing especially for people who are on a budget and are not trying to, you know, spend $70 per game and want to go back and play all these titles, older titles, especially if you have not uh, played anything that Microsoft has released, such as Gears of War, the Halo series, everything is on there. And I think that's an amazing thing in a, to have for gamers, especially going forward. Now, I know yes. that Sony has the PS Now uh, platform, but that, it's inferior and it's a separate subscription on top of your PS Plus subscription which is kind of not cool. And then on top of that, you, most of the games you cannot download to your system like you can with the Xbox and you have to stream them, which the lag input and all those type of issues are way worse if you try to stream them. But an interesting thing, uh, interesting thing came out this week where Sony CEO Jim Ryan hinted that PlayStation is going to have a response to the Xbox Game Pass. Now, I throw this to you with the caveat of what do you think Sony would need to create on their streaming platform in order to compete with the Game Pass subscription model? And how could it also differ? And what do you think would be a proper price point for Sony's model if they were going against Game Pass? Um, well, for one, Sony could straight up copy Game Pass. It's not like Microsoft has a patent on it or anything. They could straight up copy Game Pass and... It, it would be it would be a home run over PS Now, you know, head and toes over it because PS Now is a pale comparison, a, a just pretty shitty way to play your games. It's you know, like you said, you stream the games. There's you know input delay. It's just not good. It's just not good. You know, in comparison to Game Pass, where you know it's the game, it's there, it's now, and it's older games that are functioning just just as good as any game now. But um, like I said, they could go ahead, and this is even if, you know, it's going to be a service much like Game Pass. Sony kind of drops the ball on things like these a lot of the times, so it can be something pretty goofy. So, um, I'm, you know, I'm kind of like skeptical on that sort of situation. But, uh, I mean, they could... uh, they could do things differently, much with, uh, much like how the the PS5 does its uh, whole PS4 collection thing. And like, uh, I only saw that briefly when it uh, during the trailers and stuff. I don't know if that itself is like a weird subscription thing, or if you just get all those games for free on PS5. Uh, and the way then... the way it works is you the whole collection is available for you to download as soon as you boot up your PS5, assuming you have a PlayStation Plus subscription, that is, you can just go on and add all those games to your library. But it does suck the fact that you have no access to that uh, those lists of games if you are just trying to access that on your PS4. It is only a menu that you can gain access through the PS5's UI, 
but once you do add them to the library on your PS5 of UI, they are accessible on your PS4. That's that's kind of weird. That's, I, I mean, I guess I get that for being you know a brand new shiny thing for the PS5. It's like, hey, you know, not only do we have a couple new games out right now, but you can get all the old PS4 games that you know you want to play, and that's cool. But uh, unless Sony comes out with some sort of thing that compares, and you know in the slightest way to game pass I, I don't i don't see them making a big dent when it comes to that portion of their service but oddly enough i don't think they would need it simply because people still enjoy their ps5s most people i know uh still enjoy buying their games whether it's digitally or physically uh you know personally i like to buy mine mine physically i'm a big advocate still for physical media um, and I, I always will be because, you know, digitally, I, I believe that digitally, when you buy a game digitally, you don't really own it. You're just renting it. And uh, a lot of things can happen where, you know, they'll just, you'll lose the license to the game, whatever game you're playing. And uh, <laughs> it, yeah, it's honestly I, simple. That, like, yeah. And I mean, if Sony decides to, if there's any credence to what Jim Ryan said, if Sony decides to, uh, create their own kind of a uh, games on demand platform what do you think would be a good price point for it oh, man. how much is game pass game pass currently with xbox live included is 14.99 a month they wanted to undercut uh microsoft honestly knock like five dollars off of that make it like a ten dollar thing along with your psn subscription or if they really wanted to shake the tree, and I know they're not going to do this, but, you know, uh, make it even cheaper than that, you know? But Yeah, uh, yeah I could, I could totally... What I can see them doing is, kind of for current PS Plus members that have, you know, had a withstanding membership, maybe doing, like, an early discount trial period with, like, the first six months of your membership, maybe you get a discount and something else, and maybe, like, new players that never had PS Plus that are just getting the, you know, PS Plus for the first time, that get the that get the subscription have to pay whatever the normal price is, but I could see maybe something like that, kind of like a middle ground. Yeah, like a nice little sale going on. Well, like it's you know part of a specific tier of PS Plus where it's like, hey, get PS Plus plus you know our new PSN you know multi pass <laughs> and as a multi pass PSN and <laughs> they they could do that, but uh, honestly, I don't think they need to. Uh, I, I think I'm, they, uh, they should I, they should dump uh, PSN now, though. Just I just agree. Off I agree. I 100% agree. Uh, I was gonna say I would be 100% down with uh, you know Milijovic over on the cover of a you know multi-pass PlayStation. I'd completely buy that. Her with a blue wig, be I great. Agree. Oh yeah, give me give me the fifth element PS5. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> it's just all it is. It, 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 it's a it's a naked white PS5 with a couple of straps wrapped around it. Yeah, and it's just like it's just like you know barely there, like hospital like you know gauze, and it's like, whatever. <laughs> that, re that reminds me of the the toy I used to see on Amazon. It was like, oh, buy your official license the fog toy. It was a piece of cotton in a box. <laughs> P PS5, they they look besson, and it's like, can I get, can I get one for the professional though? I, <laughs> Speaking of uh, fog, we're getting to my favorite topic of this podcast. 
So it seems like there are rumors in the game industry that Konami is going to pull off the epic troll once again. There's rumors going around that Konami will be introducing a new Silent Hill game for the next-gen consoles at the Game Awards 2020 on December 10th. Now, Mike knows I love the Silent Hill series, one of my favorite survival horror franchises of all time. I love the first game, I love the second game, the third game to a lesser extent, but it's still better than everything that came behind it. I don't really have much love for The Room or the one on the 360s, but then uh, the ones that came on the 360 and the PS3, but that's just me. But I will say, having love for this franchise and knowing what could have been, especially with PT, I would love to buy into these rumors, but I feel like there's been so many times I've been thrown out the window trying to, you know, overhype myself, being like, oh my god, they're going to announce it, they're going to do it, especially with the technology we have now, and the rumors that came out a few months ago that Konami was secretly working on a Silent Hill game that was going to be one of the first PS5 games to take full advantage of the new controller with the haptic feedback, which I thought, oh I was god. like, oh my, I was like, oh my god, amazing, but... That would be so awesome. Here's my thing. They've done this so many times ever since PT got canceled. And they've done it even recently back, I want to say, maybe it was during the summer before September where they opened a new Silent Hill Twitter account. They said, with nothing to announce, they just opened it and they said, here, we'll have big announcements coming when we have something to announce. So I automatically thinking, oh God, they're going to announce the new game on this channel. No, what they ended up announcing was that expansion for Dead by Daylight that included Pyramid Head, which whatever, <laughs> I get it. And I just left sad. And don't get me wrong, I like Dead by Daylight, but I don't want an expansion. I want a full new game. And a real game. Like, come on. Yeah, a real game. Like a full, you know, nice 15-hour experience. But I want to know what you think about this. Do you think there's possibly any credence to these rumors? Or do you think that Konami probably just threw this out there just to drive up some buzz and there's no truth to it at all? Look, I'm on the side of you can't trust Konami these days. I do not believe those rumors for a second until they get off their asses and actually start showing things. Now, uh, uh, like you, I mean, I love Silent Hill too. Like, you know, it's a fantastic game. You know, it's right up there with Resident Evil for, you know, one of the greatest survival horrors in, on, you know, on Earth. Earth. But... <laughs> I just don't trust Konami, man. They have so many franchises that are languishing and they just do nothing with them or they make half-assed, you know, projects like Metal Gear Survive. And the, I'd love to have a new Silent Hill. You know, God knows PT, you know, was gonna like, was looking really good. It was looking crazy. The demo was, you know, everything you wanted, atmospherics, real fear, you know, like the feeling of like, you know, not being having a jump scare itself, but just the fear of like, God, I don't want to go around that corner because I might see something, not because you're going to see something. That was, you know, the secret to the original Silent Hill games was the the implication of everything. The, you know, just the dread, not that it was relying on jump scares. You know, it was real fear you were dealing with because you didn't want to go into the next room. You didn't want to go down the hallway. And you know, like I said, I think Konami is full of it. I think they're, the rumors are just rumors. And, you know, now watch me get proven wrong at the Game Awards. But <laughs> okay, so but that, I, uh, but that would be welcome. That would be a welcoming, you know, oh, you know, eating for me, you know? I, I mean, I'm probably going to be overconfident on this. But I 
I entirely believe that if they came out with a next-gen Silent Hill game, whether it's a sequel, whether it's a remake, or whatever kind of form it comes in, and it has all these, you know, next-generation features, takes advantage of the of the haptic feedback, takes advantage, you know, of all the bells and whistles of the PS5 or the Series X if it's multi-platform, to me, that game is a cross is a cross-platform system seller. That's a system no seller to me. Especially if it's not cross-generational, that's a system seller. But I will say this. Let's say they don't come out with it, and as I'm expecting that there is no credence to these rumors, if they did do a Silent Hill remake or a Silent Hill sequel, let's say, in the series, what would that game be like to you? What would you want in that game? Um, and you know, we talked about this before. I'd be cool with like a sequel to Downpour because I actually did enjoy Downpour. Uh, I mean, it's flawed out the gate and you know, and it's not the greatest game of all time, but it's still enjoyable. Uh, it's still kind of nailed down a little bit of what Silent Hill is about. Um, but to me, the prime, the prime example of a Silent Hill would be returning back to the fear, returning back to the exploration. You know, combat's one thing, but combat is like the least important aspect of any Silent Hill ever. It's more about the discovery. It's more about the mystery. It's more about the exploration. You going in, digging in, the, the nitty gritty, and of course, you know, the you know the, the siren. The siren's got to be there. It's an integral part of Silent Hill. The switching between normal life and going to hell. It's it's got to be there. It's got to be there because without it, you're just kind of playing just another standard horror game. And it's not at all what, you know, not at all what, what it's not at all the Silent Hill that I want to have, you know? Yeah, and I completely understand. And I feel like for me, while I do love all the the, the, the themes and kind of like thematic elements that Silent Hill is known for, whether, you know, it's the, the siren, the kind of eerie, you know, kind of you know stranger things upside down world that you can get yourself into between you know the real world and the hellish landscape that you end up in when things go bad i think most of all what this game has to have to me which is why the second game of the series especially ranks high up there for a lot of people that i know including myself is that this game has to have a character that you can connect with but also a character that you can sympathize with and kind of feel their psychological struggle because I feel like the strongest part of the Silent Hill games that people yearn to return are the the elements where people you can be a normal person you find yourself in this town and you don't understand why you know something's drawing you there and maybe you know like Harry in the first game he ends up there because he wants to go search for his daughter James ends up there because he's getting letters from his dead wife and he wants to find out how could this be possible like you have something drawing you there but at the same time, you know this is a bad idea. You know this town doesn't look like it's on the up and up. But something's pulling you to push yourself through all this monstrosity and all these horrors to find what you're looking for, which is like kind of like that inner peace you can't find for yourself. This town somehow has that missing piece. And I think that's a great thing to play with that we're missing in video games is to find yourself in a place that you know you have no business being a part of, that you know you have no business entering but something draws you in. And I loved also the fact that everybody sees Silent Hill differently. A little girl can see a nice little sunny town. A guy who's had a really bad past can probably see the worst the town has had to offer, but it's a Which different is the little girl thing. in the second game. 
Yeah, she saw she, nothing. She saw some, yeah, she saw nothing. She it was just a big game to her. Yep, it was just a nice. Also, pass. <laughs> uh, another another part that I find absolutely crucial. I forgot to mention this a couple minutes ago. The music. The first yeah. three games have some of the best music I've ever heard in any video game ever. Just amazing atmospherics, just synth soundscapes that that dazzle you along. And between even the loading, uh, the save menus have music that it's like, oh man, I, I just kind of want to sit here for a few minutes and take this in. Uh, I literally have uh, playlists on YouTube of just all of just Silent Hill 2 and 3, you know, mixes, you know, like hour and a half, two hour long, you know, chill you know, chillscapes of just Silent Hill music. The music is that good and it's that necessary without it. You just, again, it's something else that makes Silent Hill. And and I feel like that's a big credit to uh, Silent Hill's longtime composer, Akira Yamaoka. I feel like yes. that's a big, that's a big up to him. And I feel like the yes. games that haven't featured him as a composer have been weaker for it on the ambiance. I was even glad that they used the music uh, in the, the movie too. I was yes, like, oh yes. my god, that is fantastic. That's really Silent Hill. Like, it's like Yes. And, and you know, there's been a, a trend of very bad video game movies and things like that. But I felt like, while, don't get me wrong, Silent Hill, the first, at least the first film, was not perfect by any stretch. It did capture that ambiance for me. Yes, it was probably the cleanest interpretation from game to movie of any sort of license video game license i've ever seen and just the fact that they used the, the music was just a mwah, cherry on the top it, it you know it was it was it was awesome the second movie eh, <laughs> not so much that's, i don't, I don't, think, I don't think you'll get any <laughs> i don't think you'll get any fighting from any of us you know about that <laughs> but but I will say here, this. He's had to, you know, help you out that because this movie's kind of sucky. He's like, but he doesn't belong here, honestly. But I guess so. It's like, it's like that was that, that was a, a James inner demon type of thing. He, he he has nothing to do with, you know, what screw it. <laughs> but like, uh, you know, anyway. But I will say this: since we're on the term, uh, I should I should say on the lines of along going along the lines of uh, talking about movies and video games, kind of crossing with one another. How about those new Mortal Kombat skins that were announced and actually uploaded to the game the same day that actually brought in three skins from the original motion picture film, and that being Sonya Blade's uh, skin from the original movie, Johnny Cage, and Raiden. I know you're a big Mortal Kombat guy. I don't have the game, but I know you're really big into Mortal Kombat. Uh, let's yeah. go down this rabbit hole and talk about these new skins and also a lot of the other uh, famous movie characters and different uh, characters from other properties they've added and kind of what's been your take on them. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad that they added the uh, the first movie skins in there. You also have uh, all the actors reprising their roles. And uh, it's it's just a nice little nugget because Shang Tsung, when he was in the, when he was introduced in the first combat pass, uh, they had his actor, you know, also reprise the role for the game. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, it'd be pretty cool if other fighters got the same treatment. And lo and behold, here they are. And uh, they're done very well. Uh, they look awesome. They, they, in comparison to, let's say, the Terminator, which, oh, man, the Terminator's done horribly. First off, the voice actor sounds like a bad caricature of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, they really lean in on his accent, given the fact that, like, you know, 
in the movies, his accent is really only there for the first movie, but he barely has any dialogue uh, in the first movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And in the second movie, he's completely fine. So why are you making the Terminator out to sound, you know, I'm here to terminate everything. Look at me and my amazing accent. Oh, look, this Robocop, I'm going to fight him. And, <laughs> and also the fact that they used this shitty, dark fate, old man Terminator. And it's like, you really couldn't give me 1984, you know, punk T-800 Terminator or cool ass biker, you know, leather 1991 Terminator. Even if they do have a younger skin form, he's still not wearing the clothes. It doesn't count, but they'll go with shit ass dark fate Terminator that. <laughs> I, I completely understand your frustration with at least how cosmetically how he looks because I had that uh, same frustration when it came to Mortal Kombat 9 and they brought in Freddy Krueger. I was like, why are we bringing in the Freddy Krueger, the Jackie Earl Haley Freddy Krueger from the remake? Why, why yeah. can't you just pony up the extra money and bring the Robert England version in? And I get, like, when Mortal Kombat 9 came out, that uh, that uh, Freddy Krueger was fairly recent. But still, people want to see the iconic versions of the characters they grew up with not loose interpretations and while don't get me wrong the terminator you're talking about at least from the youtube clips i've seen of the character in action it is arnold but you it's called yeah you, 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 <laughs> it's you can't call. you can't have you know the the iconic terminator t800 be in there have it be arnold then have it be played by somebody who sounds like they're doing a bad impersonation for their you know youtube prank phone call video especially especially when rambo is not and rambo looks awesome by the way rambo is in his nice 80s drip you know young as hell and even voiced by by sly himself i love it sounds great you know you have peter weller being robocop and you know it's robocop so you don't need to worry about making him look young or anything uh keith david for spawn you know sounds still sounds wonderful still love that voice uh but man what a what a drop ball on arnold and from what i read arnold would have done it but he had scheduling uh conflicts apparently uh keep in mind that he did voice himself in the predator game which is like Ugh, you'll 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 be a part of that project but you won't do mortal Kombat, guy oh arnie yeah. you, you disappoint me and then and like <laughs> you said when it when it came to that specific sort of terminator we don't need carl we need uncle bob <laughs> Uncle Bob? <laughs> Uncle Bob, <Exactly>. huh? <laughs> No problemo. <laughs> I mean... It's like, oh. I, to me, I'm still waiting for the day that, you know... I Don't get me wrong. It's, I get the whole business model behind it of, you know, adding in uh, famous characters from other franchises to try to spice up, spice up the I'm gameplay. Fine with, I'm and, fine no, with especially Mortal Kombat. I'm 100% fine with it don't get me wrong and i get that it kind of it kind of boosts up the sales and revenue for mortal kombat until the next one comes out because kind of you know it's a live service thing where you're going to keep getting you know continual updates as the year goes on or the years depending how long it takes to make the next one but i will say at this point i feel like they have such a good infrastructure in place to just do a full game of just movie characters fighting each other yeah i agree i think i think they should another realm should absolutely make a entire horror game or you know 
maybe maybe just movies in general like you know action heroes going up against horror villains you know you got chucky fighting freddy freddy versus jason i mean they did it in mortal kombat 10 and uh, well at least in uh, at least jason was in mortal kombat 10 freddy was in mortal kombat 9 but uh you know do it do it i don't know why nobody's done it before i've seen some like you know fan games that you could pay, that you could play on PC, but you know they're not really great looking I, games. I, I, I mean, I know what you're talking about. It's kind of like the old Mortal Kombat uh, motion capture sprites with the uh, it's called, it's a game called Terra Dome. Yes, I, I was going to say Terra Dome, but it I mean I'm in the neighborhood. Yeah, I think I think it's one of those two, but I remember exactly what you're talking about, and it didn't play great. And of course, they had all the characters in there, but they did not have the licenses officially. Yes. Yeah, and, and and I don't get me wrong, I get that, but I feel like another <laughs> realm can put this together, especially with everybody still yearning, and hopefully it still comes up at some point to have a nice Ash played by Bruce Campbell in the series. Oh my, I would I would have much rather had Ash in Mortal Kombat than in Dead by Daylight. I'm just saying. Well, especially when you can't fight back in Dead by Daylight, yeah. and it's like Ash Ash, is, Ash, it's like, Ash doesn't run. It's like, bro, you. You got a man who has a chainsaw for a hand and a friggin' shotgun. What are you doing? I'm not afraid yeah. of no ghosts. <laughs> Pretty much. You're like, I'm gonna Ray Parker this shit, and everything that comes near me is gonna go right out the window. Like the, the power hillbilly comes near me, I'm cocking the shotgun, and I'm telling him, groovy. <laughs> yeah, the power of Ash compels you. It's gonna catch a double barrel to the face, and, you know, Dead by Daylight's gonna change real quick. <laughs> you know, speaking <laughs> of uh, double barrels to the face, are, uh, one of our yearly franchises that's big in gaming just launched a couple of weeks ago and that's Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Uh, me that's and you have spent like you <laughs> <laughs> uh, me and you have spent uh, a good amount of hours with the game especially in its multiplayer and uh, yeah things have not been so smooth so far especially with me playing on the PS5, you on the PS4 and all the issues we've run into just creating a lobbies you know trying to do uh, cross gen even though the game says it supports it, but it feels like sometimes it was kind of a half-baked feature and they kind of didn't have the infrastructure ready to support it because we get errors out the wazoo all the time we have tried and uh, it's been Especially few and far between. We couldn't, we couldn't play for anything. Yeah. We couldn't yeah, even we... get in the same lobby. That's how bad it was. And I'm sure we... it's just growing pains for like the, uh, for like a new game, but that's bad. I, I mean, what makes it worse to me is, and I don't know if this was just a a kind of necessary evil of having to develop two separate versions at the same time to be released at the same time, but this is also one of the Call of Duty games that's come with the least amount of features at launch compared to any other Call of Duty game I've ever seen. I mean, in multiplayer, we only have eight maps at launch. Yeah, and, you know, not including, you know, Nuketown that just came out, but that's an older map. I mean, we only have eight new maps that were specifically made for this game. And also, this game actually has less guns than some of the other Call of Duty. And, and I feel like... Even Modern Warfare. Yeah, than even Modern Warfare. And I feel like, you know, especially with Warzone still being thing, and Warzone set to uh, announce their new season update where they add in those Black Ops Cold War guns. What do you think that... uh Black Ops is going to have to do to kind of keep up on, you know, on the competitive range with uh, Warzone in order to keep people playing on their player base if they want this game to continually uh, be successful until next year's edition of Call of Duty. Well, Zombies is a big help, 
people always enjoy zombies. Um, like uh, multiplayer is fine and everything, but uh, and much like modern warfare, I've said it quite a few times to a lot of people. But I, there are things that I like about Black Ops. There are things I don't like about it. And that goes the same for every Call of Duty down the line, whether it's balance issues, whether it's, you know, the anemic maps, whether it's, uh, you know, and this was a big problem for me and the uh, Black Ops Alpha was that the guns just didn't look right. They didn't sound right. Uh, you know, when you're coming off the gun porn that was Modern Warfare, that had, you know, just punchy sounding guns, right sounding guns, you know, animations that were smooth, that were nice and crunchy, you know, it was, and I'm a big, I'm a big, you know, gun porn person when it comes to video games. I like when, uh, you know, video game guns are animated correctly. I like when all the parts work correctly. And um, the Alpha was, the Black Ops Alpha just didn't do it very well. Like animations were like kind of soft and smushy, didn't really have any impact, didn't really have any chunky feeling. You know, you would use the AK and the AK would sound like a staple gun, like, and I'm like, where's the big punchy noises? You know, where's the cool tactical reload where he would take the mag out, slap the, uh, you know, snap the other one in and you would hear the, and then, you know, if, if you ran out of ammo completely, you pull back the charging handle and it would be like a heavy, that wasn't there in the alpha but thankfully they addressed all of that they addressed those concerns uh for in the beta the animations were much better and in the finished product now the gun animations are so much better the sounds could be worked on a little bit the sounds are still a little eh, but the animations were more important in my opinion because that's you know the visual is you know like 80 percent of the experience when it comes to call of duty and you know they fix all of that up the audio stuff can be dealt with even though i doubt they'll do it um uh warzone i, I don't think black ops is really going to try to compete with warzone considering that it's the same franchise and everything it, it would right now black ops cold war is very much a traditional call of duty experience where it's got your story campaign you got your zombies you got your multiplayer and Warzone very much seems like a different entity away from that. It's still on the modern warfare engine. You're, you know, and it, Warzone pretty much became its own thing. And honestly, I'm okay with that. I, I feel like Warzone is just in that spot where it's always going to be able to leech off the, the main base's uh, player base, the main game's player base of whatever game it is that year, just for the simple fact that it's free to play. I feel yes. like no matter what, they're always going to be a disadvantage of that because there's no, you know, barrier to entry with this. But I want to go back to something you were talking about with kind of the feel of the guns and some of the other aesthetics not feeling as punchy. And I feel like I understand that for some of the guns, but I feel like overall I'm not having that kind of same experience on the PS5. And I feel like it's not because maybe that the audio is as punchy, but I feel it's due to the haptic feedback on the controller because yeah, that that's a controller... That controller, I'm telling you, I know when I'm using one gun versus another because they actually made it a point this year for those that uh, haven't got to experience the controller yet. I'll explain this. They made an experience where you can literally pick up any gun on the battlefield like throughout the course of battle. And, oh, I said the bad word. I said battlefield during a Call of Duty review. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, you can pick up any gun. During... Oh, I'm sorry. There goes that. 
but uh, I, I'll say you can pick up any gun and you can feel the punchiness of the gun due to the resistance on each on the the shooting trigger which would be r2 you can feel the resistance like depending if you're using a sniper rifle you can feel that hard pull as you then pull the trigger back as you're aiming down a sight you can feel the controller kind of have a slight you know vibration when you're taking in a deep breath as you're about to take in that you know snipe shot then also when you're using like me my preferred gun even though it's an early on gun but it does work for me is the ak-47 you can feel that kind of like you can feel the trigger jolt with each shot and then even if you decide to slow her down and kind of you know kind of trigger discipline yourself you can feel each jolt in the control and i feel like that adds so much to it because you're feeling the weight and you're feeling the gravity of the shots you're taking whereas in the old game it really is so awesome man yeah in the old games you knew the type of gun you were firing but there was no consequence to feeling that fire besides you know maybe a vibration or two if you got blown to pieces by a semtech or c4 or something you know kind of call streak in the in the sky there was no you know kind of consequence to that and i feel like having that consequence with that new technology feeling that weight in your hands makes it feel so awesome and i think like for people that are going to play first person shooters you know kind of wrapping this all around going back to our first topic in the beginning people that are going to play first person shooters i feel like ps5 is the way to go especially if they're going to take advantage of this new controller because you feel that when you play that and having that be in sync with some of the new 3d audio capabilities on some of these games is amazing and i think like that all together will make you want to play that like first person shooters on the ps5 or the series x because don't get me wrong i like the xbox's controller it's still the tried and true formula that they went with with the xbox one and more of an updated version that they of the controller from the xbox 360 but there's something man when you touch this new ps5 controller and you play around with the haptic feedbacks and you feel it especially in a game like astro's playroom which we talked about earlier has no right to be as fun as it is i mean i sat there like a little kid at this you know the astro just rolled around and ping-ponged everywhere and i was loving every minute of it and i'm like this has no right being as good as it is especially for a pre-installed title that was just an afterthought and probably a tech demo for the controller what is a glorified tech demo it's like here here's how the controller works and here's all the cool stuff it can do and like i said man it I'm, I really want to get my hands on a DualSense. I really want like, I really want to see what developers can do with the DualSense. And going back to the whole Silent Hill thing, like just imagine you're like walking down the hallway and you don't even hear anything. You just feel like footsteps walking up on the controller. And like, that that's like a whole, that's that's a game changer. That's like a brand uh, new thing for me. I'll tell you right now, as a perfect troll, if I'm the guy with Konami, because you know Silent Hill, above being a horror game, the scary, the, the, and having, you know, creatures and all that, the scariest thing in the game is there's nothing but broken locks on every door. And I feel like with the haptic feedback, they should just troll you every time you touch a broken door. It should just give you the little shake of the controller from left to right, feeling like you actually tried the handle. Yep. That would be, that would be <laughs> awesome. It's like your control is going to die quick because I guarantee you in a corridor that has, you know, 22 rooms, 22 are going to have broken locks. But I'm telling you, at least you'll get the, the experience of touching those locks. But back to Call of Duty. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, obviously I want to see more maps. Uh, uh, Zombies has been great from what I played so far. It's kind of a more streamlined, stripped back version. Doesn't really have, you know, the bells and whistles and kind of story elements that the last couple of years iteration of Zombies did which I'm fine with. I'm fine with kind of going back to basics and, you know, just having it be about 
you know, finding Easter eggs and taking out the horde in front of you. I, the, I'm having a go ahead. The, the problem with zombies, again, only one map you can do anything on. One map, and there's no no actual unique characters. You're basically playing as your operator, and that to me is like. Ugh. I mean, it, it, it is, but I feel at the same time, too, for people that don't want to spend a lot of time actually playing other players and don't like playing other players, it's a nice side addition to be able to level up your guns and your operators while yeah, not having that, to actually directly engage with the player base. Yeah, I will say that at least that that's a nice little, you know, consolation prize is that you can level up guns for use, you know, universally throughout the game. Yeah, um, I mean, we, we, we will see where it goes from here. I mean... Uh, I'm optimistic, especially, you know, with the controller being the way it is and how it was used for the game. I'm optimistic. I mean, I'm not going to be buying every add-on, every DLC pack that they drop for $30 because that's just not me. But I will definitely be optimistic, keep my eye out for things that interest me. And I hope that the game continues to get support and that we get some new maps and hopefully they just don't rely on the old maps from past Black Ops. But um, moving on to another topic, I wanted to know if you had anything else on your side of the show note that you wanted to discuss. Um, uh, like I said, uh, G4 TV is coming back. I'm super happy about that. Uh, G4 TV was a big part of me growing up pretty much every day after high school. Like when I was a freshman, you know, come home from school, pop on good old and at that point, it was still like tech TV getting ready to transition into G4. And I just watch everything they had. Uh, X-Play, uh, Cheat. Uh, there was there was another one, Arena, I think it was, where they'd have... It was almost like, you know, uh, pro, you know pro gaming, but like in its very, very infancy, you had two, pe- two teams of people playing like Quake, you know, whatever. And it was it was awesome it was really awesome back in the day i'm very glad it's coming back now i watched the uh, the reunion special they had on youtube it was dope seeing everyone be together and pretty much just reminisce about the old days you know you even had things like ratty show up again um <laughs> uh, they, they also everyone found out we, we found out that uh, xavier woods was going to be a part of g4 tv now too and i'm that's pre- it's pretty cool Considering yeah. how much he's into gaming, and he even has his own YouTube channel, you know, good old up, up, down, down. That's perfect fit. Yeah, it's good. for a lot of you that don't know, Xavier Woods is a WWE superstar who was kind of one of the first WWE superstars to really start transcending into gaming and did his own, you know, YouTube channel uh, called Up, Up, Down, Down, where he brings on wrestling guests, other people to kind of join them and play video games and talk about, you know, the video games that kind of shape them into the gamers they are today. And these are really cool guy and I wish nothing but the best for him and I'm really happy that he's getting this new opportunity to kind of expand into G4 and I will say that uh, when I was growing up and I was a teenager in high school I did watch a lot of Attack of the Show and I was really big into their E3 three day streams or be nothing 24-7 and I'm yes. kind of wondering how their model's going to be going forward especially you know unfortunately we're in this current pandemic so there's not going to be a lot of you know real game you know, cons anymore going on and E3s and, you know, kind of packs things where people are going to be able to go in person. And also a lot of developers and publishers are just opting out of those type of things in general and just kind of controlling their own narrative and hosting their own YouTube streams where they can kind of, you know, control the publicity. And it's like, why pay for a booth and go to one of these big shows where I got to, you know, probably pay a hundred grand to have a booth for a couple of hours when I could just stream what I want to stream, control the narrative 
and get the word out there the way I want it to be. And I feel like I want to see how G4 works with these developers and developers and publishers to be able to still get good E3 coverage with the landscape still, you know, ever changing the way it is. Yes, because it even pre-pandemic, E3 was forever more changed years down the line when G4 had gone, you know, defunct and when it had shut down. And uh, you know, like you just said, E3 has changed. You have, you know, you have whole whole corporations not even showing up. Sony does its own thing. Nintendo does its own thing. I think the only people who still show up to E3s are Microsoft. You have uh, and big developers like you know Bethesda who are now in bed with uh, Microsoft, as you know. Um, and it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they adapt to it because it's not like. It's not like cons were the big, you know, big spectacles that they were back in, you know, the mid aughts and the late and early 2010s. But, um, yeah, we'll see how they do. We'll see how they do. Yeah, we definitely uh, will see how they do. And I want to take this point to Mark. That is all we had on our show notes for this episode. And we want to thank all of you for tuning in. And if you liked what you heard and liked kind of our conversation and our discourse going back and forth that you please do consider subscribing. Every little subscription helps get the word out there and help people get some uh, recognition of this podcast and helps us continue on. So we want to thank you for tuning in. And once again, I'm Jay. I'm Mike G. And this has been the Jay and Mike Take Flight Podcast.